one of them is, at my church growing up, we didn't do this, what we're doing right now. We didn't have the Christmas Eve service. But the week of Christmas, we would get together, and we would go caroling to our shut-ins and our elderly people at our church and just kind of go around caroling. Now, I was talking to some of our kids this weekend about caroling. I said, oh, guys, you know, you caroling? And they all went, what? Like four kids knew what I was talking about. And so I just, do you guys know what caroling is? I mean, some of the kids, too, that are here, have we done this? All right, just want to make sure. And so that was one of my favorite things where you would go to somebody's house and just, you wouldn't ring the doorbell. You would just start belting it out as loud as you could so they would hear it and come to the door. Now, tonight, we are going to be singing some songs. We're going to hear about the Christmas story, and we're going to sing more songs and hear more about the Christmas story and sing more songs. Kids, this is your time to belt it out, all right? Get into it. Enjoy it. Adults, too, you can be loud also. So this is our time to celebrate the birth of Jesus and really just enjoy it and celebrate together. Before we do that, though, we're going to stand up, turn to somebody next to you, give them a high five, and wish them a Merry Christmas.
Christmas. Is it really true that it's snowing outside? That's so great. I, uh, uh, before the first Christmas Eve service that we did, I said, I thought Michigan was supposed to have snow on Christmas. Um, so glad to hear it. I hope that you're ready for a great, great Christmas. In one moment, everything changes. In one moment, everything changed. Think about in your life, when you hear those words, where your mind goes. Maybe it was the first time that you saw your spouse. In a moment, everything changed. Maybe it was a promotion or a phone call or a diagnosis or the death of a parent or a sibling or a child. In one moment, everything changes. In one moment, everything changes changed. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The birth of a child changes everything for mom and dad. If you're a parent, you remember what it was like when you brought that first child home from the hospital. All of a sudden, everything was different. And with each child, things continued to grow. Now, as soon as you have a kid, a a, a child at home, all of a sudden, the mechanics of going everywhere change dramatically, right? Because all of a sudden, it's, it's a bigger deal than moving a battalion of soldiers, Because you have the diaper bag and in the diaper bag, you've got to have formula and baby food and extra diapers and changes of clothes and extra changes of clothes. And you've got to have the toys and the blanket and maybe even a pack and play, depending on where you're going. When a baby is born, it changes the life of mom and dad. But when Jesus was born, when this child that we're talking about today was born, it began immediately to impact the world around him. Continuing in in Luke's account of the birth of Jesus, it says this, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were terrified. Take your mind, if you can, and go to the hillside in Judea hillside outside of Bethlehem. That that hillside is actually uh, very similar today as it was 2,000 years ago. It's covered with grass. There aren't a lot of trees. There aren't a lot of boulders. Um, Just a place where sheep can go to eat with shepherds that would watch them. The shepherds were probably poor. They were probably young, maybe 12 to 15 years old. Because if, if they had a skill, if they were older than that, they would be employed in that process. But instead, they were on the hillside watching the sheep. They were probably bored that night. What happens when sheep go to sleep? You kind of watch and take care of them, but there's not a lot to do. And in that setting, that quiet hillside in Judea, an angel comes in their presence An angel, the emissary of God, full of power and strength and authority. Scripture says the glory of the Lord shone around him, around that angel as he came to visit the shepherds. 
with glory, there comes good news. With good news comes glory. They're, they're connected together. Think about when, when uh, a woman who has been hoping to have a baby for months or for years, the first time that she's able to say, I'm pregnant, what do we say? There's a glow on her face. She's filled with glory. Think about the IT techno nerd guy that comes in and comes to his boss's office and says, I've found it. I've discovered the bug that's been found in the program that's caused us all this problem that set our company back. I figure it out. There's glory on his face because of what he's experienced. Can you imagine the glory on this angel's face? As he leaves heaven with the charge to come to earth to announce the birth of the Savior of the world. An angel appeared to them, glory shone round about him. There's only one problem. When that angel came into the presence of the shepherds, the glory of God scares the shepherds to death. It's a dark, quiet night. It's peaceful. The sheep are sleeping. There's probably a warm campfire that they're sitting around. Can't you picture it? That night with cool breeze outside, the sparks descending, ascending from the fire, the heat of the fire there, smoke going up, quiet conversation around the fire, and in comes an angel. In one moment, everything changes. In one moment, everything changed. Quiet was shattered with sound. Darkness was flooded with light. Peace was displaced with fear. You know, I think that there 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 are three different kinds of fear that we all experience. There's kind of the normal, controllable fears. Let me call them. They're they're the fears that if we shape our environment, we can we can kind of remove those fears from me. If you're afraid of speaking in public. What do you do? You just don't speak in public, right? So you can, you can control your fear that way. Um, if you're afraid of um, meeting new people, you stick with your friends and you try and avoid that kind, of, uh, that kind of encounter because of your fear. If you're afraid of spiders and snakes, you don't go camping, right? You control your environment to avoid those fears that are normal, controllable. But then there are some fears that are lingering. And there are things that we can't control. When we begin to hear rumors about maybe something going on with our company that might impact our job. The fears that we have on whether or not we'll have enough money in our retirement years. The fears of a life-altering medical diagnosis. The fear that we experience when a voice on the other end of the telephone says, I'm from the IRS and we need to have a meeting. There there are those fears that are persistent but controllable, those lingering but uncontrollable fears, and then there are those fears that paralyze us. The sound that we hear in our house in the middle of the night that we know should not be happening. The fear that we experience when we hear a gunshot in our neighborhood. The, The fear that we experience when there's severe weather outside and all of a sudden you hear the distinctive sound of a freight train coming right at you. The fear that we experience when there's a police officer or a military chaplain that comes to our door, it paralyzes us. What, what happens when we get scared, when, when we're overcome with fear? There's a signal that travels in our brain to the amygdala at the base of the brain. The amygdala sends a, sends a signal, a, a glutamate, to a section of the brain that makes us freeze or jump. You know those times when you're startled? That's because of the glutamate that's there. The amygdala sends more glutamate to, a, to an area called the uh, hypothalamus that, that triggers this response in us that's the, that's the, um, the, the flight, or, um, or flight or fight response that happens for us. We've all experienced that. All of a sudden, our heart rate starts to speed up. Our blood pressure begins to increase. We get sweaty palms. Our breathing becomes shallow and rapid. Our pupils dilate. Our, heightens, our, sense, our, our, our senses are heightened all over the place because of what's going on inside us, because of fear. We all understand that. 
we understand that there are things happening in our body chemically that take us there. And it sounds so logical, doesn't it? And yet, when we're in the midst of fear, when it happens to us, it's paralyzing. In the summer of 1990, the United States had troops on the southern border of Honduras. It was the time of Oliver North and Manuel Noriega, time of the Sandinistas and the drug cartels, the time of covert CIA operations. Some of you remember those those days. That summer, I led a group of, of students and adults from our church in Maryland on a mission trip to a different section of Honduras, not close to the border, but more towards the north end in the mountains called Merendon, outside of San Pedro Sula. Um, we got down there and uh, began to meet with the missionaries, and, and we were divided into teams to do different kind of work projects. The first day that we were working, I was teamed with a student named Paul, and our job was to go into a property in the city in San Pedro Sula and and cut down a papaya tree that that was on the property so that a a wall could be built that that shielded the property and and protected the outskirts of it. Um, San Pedro Sula is at sea level in a tropical environment. It was a beastly hot day. Sun beat down. Uh, it was in the mid-90s, very muggy. We were soaked with sweat, soaked with sawdust from cutting down this papaya tree. We got it down and began to clear the brush when all of a sudden um, we discovered that the papaya tree wasn't actually on the missionary's property. It was on the property next door. And the woman who owned that property was not at all happy that her prized papaya tree had been cut down, and especially that it had been cut down by gringo Americans. Um, a tirade in Spanish happened in that, in that moment, and my Spanish wasn't good enough to follow everything that happened, but I did pick out one word in what she said, and it was the word Yale. She, um, she finished her tirade, angry, yelling, all kinds of stuff goes back in the house, And Paul, the student, says to me, he said, "Um, do you think that she went to college in the United States? And I said, why do you say that? And he said, well, she said Yale. And I said, Paul, the reason she said Yale is because she can't say her J's. She's talking about jail. And Paul got real quiet and very pale. The next day, we didn't work in the city. We were up in the mountains and stayed at the medical clinic. The missionaries were out in uh, other areas visiting people and, and doing some, some, uh, some chores down in the city. And I was in charge of our group of students as we painted the clinic that day. Um, as we're painting late that morning, I hear a, a, a vehicle coming up this dirt road up the side of the mountain into where we were and where the medical clinic was. And as the, as the vehicle came around the bend, I saw that it was a military vehicle. And it was loaded with 10 to 12 Honduran soldiers in uniform carrying their weapons. And that there was a machine gun attached to this Jeep. The Jeep pulled up to where we were, backed into where the clinic was. And the commanding officer and three of the soldiers began to come directly towards me. All of those things that I described that happened to us physiologically when we're afraid, they were happening to me in spades. I was scared. Picture the shepherds. An angel appears with the full power and glory of God in the middle of the night on their hillside, and they are terrified.
Absolutely petrified. The initial diagnosis comes. The verdict is cancer. Past due notice finally arrives. The police officer rings your doorbell at 2 a.m. The memo comes. The company is downsizing. Science teacher announces that you have a test. You have not studied. Fear. You're scared. You have pain in your gut. Concern and tears. You're absolutely terrified. And that's where these keepers of sheep were that night. God's glory illuminated the night and they freaked out. And then there's this small little word in the text in the very first Christmas story. Some translations translated and, some use the word but. But in, but in Luke chapter 2, this is what it says, starting in verse 10. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly with, uh, there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Good news is given. And when good news is given, fear melts away. Good news like the initial cancer diagnosis was wrong. You're cancer free. The past two notice that you got in the mail was followed up by a bonus check that more than covers the debt. The police officer is simply returning the lost dog through an open gate. The memo goes on to say that the downsizing won't affect your department. The science teacher can't find the paper tests. The point, good news alleviates fear. And the good news that the angels brought that night to some shepherds surpasses all the good news ever given. It's not good news for one person or one family. It's not good news for a certain segment of the population, a specific ethnicity or body type. It's not good news for just the privileged or the elite. It's good news for all that God showed up in the flesh to eventually eliminate disease for all, to eventually eliminate debt for all, to eventually eliminate pain and suffering for all, to eventually eliminate struggle for all, and to immediately repair the relationship between God and man for all. And how were the shepherds to know? What, what, what was the sign? What, what would prove it to them. A baby wrapped in blankets and a diaper. It's a very common thing. But this baby would be laying in a feeding trough born to two teenagers who weren't even married yet. A completely unusual, unique, and strange thing. God in a bod. The creator of the universe takes on flesh to become like us 
so he can save us. Praise God, which is exactly what the angels do. Return to heaven, praising God. Would you stand and sing with us? Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come, ye, oh, come, ye to Bethlehem. left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. In one moment, everything changes. In one moment, everything changed. When the angel left, the shepherds were left with a decision. What would they do with what they had just experienced? And who, who would believe them? 
mentioned earlier that the shepherds were probably young, 12 to 15 years old. Some believe that they were as young as 10 years old. Who would be a more unlikely choice for God to use to tell the story of the birth of his son? Who would believe a 10 or a 12 or a 15-year-old boy in the middle of the night that said an angel appeared? An angel appeared. And this baby was born. And we saw this baby in Bethlehem in a feeding trough. Who would believe them? And yet the shepherds were wise enough in their young years to recognize that they had to take some kind of action. After the encounter with the angel and the heavenly hosts that filled the sky, the adrenaline continued to rush through their body. And we've all experienced that. What happens afterwards? Your knees are weak. You don't know what to do. And you just sit. It would have been so easy for the shepherds to stay on the hillside and to talk among themselves and to stay there. But they had to take action. So they head off to Bethlehem to see what the Lord has told them about. If you think about it, great news always mobilizes us. When you have great news, you have someone that you have to tell. If you find out that there are free tickets to the Super Bowl for anyone that wants them, what are you going to do? You're going to call your family. You're going to call everyone you can and say, get down there and get those tickets. Good news mobilizes us to action. When we buy a vehicle and we get an incredibly great deal on that car, what do we do? We tell everybody about where we got that car. Oh, you've got to go there. They'll treat you right. They'll take great care of you. Great news mobilizes people. If, if we have a medical procedure, we're facing distant, rough odds, and that doctor is able to perform that procedure well, to restore health to our body. What do we do? We tell everybody about that. Oh, you've got that problem? Go see this doc. Great news mobilizes us. One of the things that I love about being a pastor is that I have an opportunity oftentimes to be uh, with families when, they, when there's the birth of a new baby. Not when the birth happens, not at that moment, but uh, in the day after or a couple days after. It's an incredibly cool thing to go to the hospital and sit down with the family. And you know what happens often, especially with the birth of a first child? Talk to the mom. You know, mom's worn out, just loving this little bundle of joy. I begin to talk to the dad. And the dad begins to tell me what's happened through labor. They start back at the beginning and start to talk about the contractions, how far away they are. And all of a sudden they get into this detailed explanation that's far more than I want to know about effacement and crowning and all this stuff, merconium, and afterbirth. Why is it that they do that? Because they're so overwhelmed with the incredible experience that they have just undergone that they've got to tell someone. It mobilizes them to action. After our first child was born, we had a video camera. This has been a lot of years ago. We had a video camera, and, and fortunately we didn't videotape the birth, um, but that, later that morning, I'm holding this baby and we turn on the video camera and I began to do just what I just described. I, went and, I probably spent 20 minutes describing everything that had happened in the birth of our daughter, Leah. Why is that? I was so overwhelmed with the power of what we had experienced. I had to do something. I had to tell someone. Great news mobilized the shepherds. It caused them to take action and to go to Bethlehem to see firsthand what the angel had described. And when they get there, what do they discover? It is just as God said. There's Mary and Joseph, this babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a feeding trough in a manger. God proved himself true. What the angel had said was true. If you're a skeptic this afternoon, maybe, maybe you're here because your family's here and, 
you know, kind of it's Christmas Eve. And so you come to church because that's what you do. And you're thinking, you know, it's really cool to just hear the Christmas story again. But that's kind of what it is. It's this fable that someone made up. Let me encourage you this Christmas to really explore whether or not this is true. Whether or not this idea that God left heaven and came to earth is true. Because if it is, it could change everything. Are you willing, are you willing to go wherever truth leads? That afternoon, that late morning in Honduras that I told you about, um, I, I want to tell you the rest of the story, although it's, it feels a little anticlimactic because as I encountered the soldiers coming with weapons towards me as the leader to have this conversation, something really strange happened. They got about halfway to me. We had started probably 40, 40 feet apart when they had parked the vehicle. They got about halfway to me and they kind of just looked at each other, didn't say anything and turned around and got back in the vehicle, and drove away. For 25 years, I've wondered, what happened that day? Were they looking for the, one of the nurses in the medical clinic, and she wasn't there, so they just left? Was it a biblical kind of thing, and they saw angels around us, and just decided it was time to hightail out? I, f- I feel pretty confident now that, that it wasn't because we had cut down the papaya tree. I, I'm, I'm fairly confident of that. But it was a scary encounter all the same. I've always regretted for 25 years. I've always regretted not knowing the rest of that story. Let me encourage you, if you're skeptical, if you're distant, if you're not connected to God, don't live with regret that you never pursued the truth of the Christmas story. Find out. If it's real, the shepherds could have stayed on the hillside. They could have had a great story to tell about the appearance of the angel, this angel that came to them in the middle of the night. The sky was filled with the heavenly host, with scores of angels, hundreds. The the word there is maybe even thousands of angels filled the sky. They would have had a great story to tell just there. But they had to pursue the truth and had to find out if if, if, if it was real. If they had stayed on the hillside, they would have missed the point because the point was not the experience on the hillside. It was Jesus. The reason the angel came was Jesus. If we enjoy the music of Christmas, the celebration of Christmas, but miss Jesus, we'll miss the point. What did the shepherds find at the manger? They found hope and joy and peace. The birth of Jesus at that moment changed everything. Everyone that encountered the shepherds who heard about it afterwards were amazed. The shepherds were probably not very credible as young, poor um, kids. And yet people listened to what they said and were amazed. The shepherds then ultimately returned to the hillside, returned to their flocks, praising and glorifying God. If you're a follower of Jesus today, if, if, if you know him, if you know the truth of the Christmas story and it has changed your life, it's transformed you, it's not enough to just be content in that experience and to not share it. Good news compels us, compels us to spread the news, to share the story, to pursue the truth. What action do you take as a result of this Christmas? I hope it's go and see. I hope it's praise God and go forth and spread the word. They returned glorifying and praising God. Our hope today is that this Christmas will be the one where everything changes for you. Because at the birth of Jesus, everything changed. We're going to close our service with something that's a part of many, many Christmas Eve services. It's a candle lighting service. Um, there, there's some symbolism that I'm going to talk about in just a second. But what's going to happen is we're going to fill a dark place with light. At the right ends of each of the pews, there's a sack that has candles in it. And if you're on the right end of the pews, if you can reach down and pass 
take one out and pass those down. Let me give you just a little bit of instruction. Parents, parents, parents. Parents, we're leaving it up to your discretion for whether or not your child has a candle. Can I have your... Once you have a candle, go ahead and, and, and just come back up here to me for a second. Let me, let me just talk through some mechanics. The easiest way to do this is when you have your candle lit, simply hold your candle still in that vertical position to the next person and let the candle that is being lit, lit be in the horizontal position. Because if you do it the other way, the hot wax is going to drip, and that will be unpleasant for everyone, all right? So once your candle's lit, just kind of pass it and let the next person light from there, bring their candle back down, and pass it along. 2,000 years ago, Bethlehem was a dark place. It was a dark night. And in the birth of Jesus, light came into the world. What we'll experience as we sing in the next few moments is the spreading of that light. We'll see the result of what happens as the shepherds go to Bethlehem and begin to spread the news in Bethlehem and then throughout the hillside. As the message of the birth of Jesus began to spread throughout the land, he's come. Jesus, the Messiah, has come to change everything. Let's stand together. Let's sing.
In a dark place, light dispels the darkness. It pushes it away. We're just saying, Son of God loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face. Fill the dawn with redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. What an incredible thought. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that Jesus came into a dark world to save us, to change us. God, that in that moment, everything changed. Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this season. We thank you for the opportunity we have just now to put everything into perspective and to understand how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to take your candle with you as we leave, you can do that. Um, If you don't want to, the ushers will be at the back. We're going to blow these out in just a second. Um, Sometimes people come to Christmas Eve and and they're prepared to give and want to give. We're not going to take up an offering, but if that's your situation, there are some boxes in the back and you can put an offering in there if if you want to do that and came prepared to do that. Um, As we leave, we're going to sing Joy to the World. Feel free to stay in in here and sing all three verses, or uh, if you're ready to head home, that's great too. Blow out your candles, take take them with them, or uh, take them with you, or give them to the ushers. Joy to the World. Merry Christmas.